All right, so lesson 85, we are in uh, chapter 21, and we're down toward the end, and actually um, several verses in 21, and then the first five verses in 22 is my purpose for tonight. So Daniel pointed out that my first word there, finally, doesn't necessarily mean finally. And if you'll read the rest of the sentence, you'll see it's not finally Jeff, it's finally John gets to this present view. All right, so John got there. Is Jeff going to get there? That's the next question. So um, John gets to this place where he finally sees all this glory uh, starting in chapter 21 as he sees the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, then he sees the city of Jerusalem as God presents it. Last week we talked about a lot of the, of the makeup of that city, the glory of that city as the different materials that it's made from, unlike anything in our natural realm. And he continues with that thought tonight. Uh, one, of the, one of the points, as we'll talk about, is this, this phrase that keeps occurring over and over, the throne of God and of the Lamb. And John is, is proclaiming to us something that, that uh, we need to be aware of. At this present time, uh, the Father, Jesus, um, the Lamb, sometimes uh, came forward uh, out of uh, the presence of the Father to speak, to deliver a message, to open the scroll, uh, different things, but... We're going to finally see where Jesus will take his permanent place uh, seated in the throne with his father. And so uh, that will be where we're looking at tonight. Also the river of life, tree of life, those things will be coming up in this in this section. So Revelation 21, uh, going to start in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that will end chapter 21, and then the next section in 22 we'll move into. So this... This phrase that he uses, the throne of God and the Lamb. Um, the Lord God Almighty is the phrase he uses at the very start of this. A phrase that he has used numerous times. You see there in your notes uh, this title, Lord God Almighty. Um, Lord God Omnipotent. The Lord God Almighty. So different ways that people have translated it, but... It is Lord Kurios, uh, 
uh, God Theos, Almighty Pantocrator, which means the one who has control, dominion over everything. And so, Panto, all, Kratos, uh, to rule over things. And so, this is the all-dominating Lord God. The Lord God Almighty reigns. We know that phrase from Handel's Messiah. But he got it from where? The Bible. Yeah. So, this title, though, was hijacked, a word I, I liked, hijacked by Emperor Domitian, who uh, was the one who exiled John to the Isle of Patmos. And as he, um, he would come to his position of rule, he was a very weak person, uh, but uh, sometimes, you know, people make up for that by meanness. And he did. Uh, he became one of the most hated of all the Roman emperors. Uh, basically, nobody liked him. But then he didn't like anybody either. The problem with that was, if he didn't like you, it could be death. And so uh, he was not afraid to put to death senators, um, Roman councilmen, uh, statesmen, leaders of different of, of the provinces within Rome. Uh, if he didn't like what you were doing, um, you could just be at the end of your life, not just fired. So one of the titles he liked for himself was Lord God Almighty. His name Domitian means the dominant one, all right? So he already borrowed that title. And so pulling it from the Greek language, he called himself Lord God Almighty. Uh, proclaimed his own deity and demanded that people bow down, knowing that Christians would not. What's interesting is he was tolerant of the Jews who would not bow down and some of the other pagan religions who would not bow down, but he was not tolerant of Christians because they proclaimed a savior who was going to come and... Um, destroy the earth <laughs> yeah and rule the earth and that threatened him also some of the jews didn't have any problem you want us to bow down we'll bow down no big deal um, other pagan religions whether they really saw him as god or not but he demanded that and uh, put to death many christians during paul's or john's day john for some reason escaped being put to death and instead was exiled, uh, maybe because he was so well-loved and he was afraid to do it to him. Uh, no one really knows for sure. But he borrowed God's title. <laughs> but it wasn't long after this that Domitian died. So much for Lord God Almighty. And, oh, and yeah, and by the way, he didn't raise from the dead. <laughs> so, you know, that, uh, there's that. And then the other thing was after he died, then they, they erased his face, his name, from pillars, from statues, from different places. He'd, he would have scratched out the name of some other god and had his name put into the stone or the marble. And uh, after his death, they came along and they took it all out. And had it not been for some Christian history, almost nothing would have been known about Domitian. 
because they didn't want anything to do with this man. So, um, so much for Domitian. But the true title belongs only to our God. And uh, we've seen from the beginning, you know, the Lamb of God is the one who is standing forward. I subtitled my course here on the book of Revelation, The Exaltation of the Lamb, because that's the title that's used all the way through the book. Uh, the name Jesus is, is not found outside of chapter 3 until you get all the way to the end of the book. And uh, even the title Christ does not appear. And not that John didn't believe in them, it's just that he used the Lamb. And so uh, this title belongs to him because this is his authority. He is the one who rules all things. And so we could title him Lord God, Sovereign One, because that's really what it is. He is the one who has dominion over everything. And so God does rule, and his rule is shown throughout the book of Revelation. All those things that happened during the tribulation from chapter 6 all the way through chapter uh, 19. All of those things. The Antichrist comes to power. Uh, he's got the false prophet. He's got the beast. He's got the harlot of Babylon. He's got ten kings that he brings along. They can't do anything to stop what God is doing. They can't stop the disasters. They can't stop the catastrophes. They can't stop the wars. They can't stop those. They don't have that kind of power. They do not rule. They have limited time and limited uh, dominion over certain things. And there's things they can do, but there's a lot that they can't. And so uh, even with all of those, um, Satan isn't Lord God dominion. Almighty, the beast is not, the false prophet is not, only Jesus Christ and the Father. The title belongs to both, Lord God Almighty. And the title is meant to um, inspire splendor and awe that, that this is the one who rules everything. I don't know what situation you're facing. This is the one who rules everything. And God has given us this wonderful gift called faith. And we can exercise our faith in the one who rules everything. And through him we can speak to mountains, we can speak to situations, we can believe, we can trust. Why? Because we're trusting in the one who rules everything. He is the one who makes things right. So, this title occurs, I put the references down there. Uh, and in different ways, but it's all referring to the same title, uh, though the phrasing may be different. In uh, chapter 21, verse 22, it's, uh, its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. In 21, 23, uh, the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light, that is the light of the throne where these sit, 22 verse 1 says, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 22 verse 3 says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. So this, this authority that is coming from this place. Look at Revelation 3 
it's there at the bottom of those the one who conquers jesus said i will grant him to sit with me on my throne as i also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne so the lord jesus and the father are one there's not two thrones there's one throne with the father and the son and the spirit as we saw in chapter four as a rainbow around the throne and so god's presence is there and he is the one who is ruling all these things so then in verse one john says and i saw no temple this is uh the next to the last of the i saw things uh, there's one more and it where it says and it was shown to me but this is the last time that john says i saw this has been occurring all the way through the letter and it's important that we realize john actually saw these things this is not just made up this is not just a vision this is i saw john was taken out of his um perspective of the earth and saw things that are in eternity and and he was outside the bounds of time and outside the bounds of of limitations of physical nature and the earth in which we live and john saw and he heard and all these things are real they just haven't happened yet and so again as you read the book of revelation i know we're at the end yeah i know some of you can remember the beginning but anyway but as you read the book of revelation you got to let your mind expand stop being bound to this has to make sense some of it just doesn't make sense expand your mind and just say wow this is going to be incredible you just have to let god speak and some of the things we're going to look at tonight i i've read numbers of commentaries but the majority of them they just say you know <laughs> there's no way that we can explain this and so we're going to look at those things as we go and i saw something new and important and, and every time he uses that it's it's to signify this is something different it, it's not what i saw before it's all different and what does he see john finds no temple in that city i saw in that city and this is in contrast to the old testament where the tabernacle and the temple were the prominent things in the city of jerusalem the tabernacle of course was in the wilderness but then it was at a place called gibeah and and Shiloh and, and it moved around and then David erected a tent on Zion and then after that he wanted to build a temple but it was Solomon who got to build the temple and, and this temple was built over the place where Abraham had sacrificed Isaac this is an important place and the city of Jerusalem was built around the temple and and when they came back from Babylon who knows what did they build first I've kind of given you a hint here. What did they build first when they came back from Babylon? The temple. You're right. Yeah, good stuff. They built the temple first. And then Nehemiah came back and helped them build the city walls. But they built the temple first. And this was something that was significant. Now, 
By the time Jesus came along, Herod had built his own temple that actually rivaled Solomon's. The difference was Solomon had the glory of God at his temple, and Herod never did. During the millennium, or well, during the tribulation, there will be a temple there built by the Antichrist and his helpers, and it will never be indwelt by God, never be honored or recognized by God, but he will build one. And I'm sure it'll be glorious. It'll be incredible. I like to um, I like to visit. You know, when I've been in Europe and um, Russia, um, China, I've gone to a few of the old Christian places. I like to visit these churches that were built to the glory of God. Any anybody in here ever been in Westminster? been in Westminster it's pretty incredible and um, it took what a hundred and some years to build anybody know right of hand yeah it was it was a long time that means your grandfather worked on it and now you're finishing it you know so but they built them to the glory of God and some of the old churches, the edifices that they they built, they had they had reasons behind them. They were they were almost a type of worship. And and they saw these, and we think, well, that's just, you know, they wasted all. That. No, they built them because that was their expression. Notre Dame, you know, something along that line is, it's absolutely incredible. Several years ago, we were in Washington D.C. So I thought, wow, opportunity to see the National Cathedral. I walked in. It's beautiful. But there was no presence of God there. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but I felt no presence of God. I've been in, I've been in Orthodox churches. I've been in Catholic churches. I've been in Russian churches. I, all over the place, Catholic churches I've been to in China. And there's, a, there's an awareness because of the honor that the people had in what they're doing. But in the National Cathedral, it's basically universal. It's just, there's no glory of God there. So, my opinion, yeah. So, and they spent a lot of money and a lot of years building that that cathedral. But, there's going to be a temple during the millennium. And I'm sure it will be glorious because it's going to be built, in a sense, by the Messiah. That's pretty cool. But you know what? It's going to be nothing compared to the glory that will be seen in this temple that is in heaven. And so uh, John begins to see um, what is there. And the tabernacle and the temple were prominent in those older cities. But here all the the shadows, the tabernacle was a shadow, it says. God told Moses to build it according to the pattern that you saw in heaven. So when God gave Moses the instructions to build the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, God showed him something in heaven. 
And the tabernacle was built according to what he'd seen, in a sense, projected from heaven. So that it was a type. It was, it was a shadow. So if I had a light up here behind me and I put my hand up, you could see the shadow of my hand um, be out there in the audience. But the shadow of the hand does nothing. It's the hand that's the reality. And the reality was the temple that's in heaven. But here, there's really not a temple at all. What does it say? The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. There's, there's, there is no edifice. There's no building. There's no structure. Oh, there's structures in the New Jerusalem. We talked about those last week, made out of uh, transparent gemstones, uh, transparent gold, uh, incredible. It's got to be beautiful beyond any way that we can describe it. But there's no temple. Because God himself and the Lamb are the temple. Why? Because the tabernacle was all about Jesus. Solomon's temple was all about Jesus. Herod's temple was all about Herod. Yeah. <laughs> Tribulation temple is all about the Antichrist. But now, you don't need a building. You got the Lord and the Lamb. And they're there. In reality, we don't need a shadow. We don't need a building. We don't need some kind of, of, of type to remind us of what's there. The Lord God himself and the Lamb are the temple. They're not in the temple. They don't make the temple. They are the temple. And so this structure becomes um, nothing more than their presence. That's what it is. Verse 23. The city has no need. Circle that word because I'm going to come back to it. No need. Has no need of sun. It doesn't just say there was no sun. It says it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. So God's glory and the lamb are the light that is there. Not only are they the temple, they are the very light that is radiating out from this throne, from this position. Isaiah 60, Isaiah talks about this, um, so also does Ezekiel, but Ezekiel's chapters worth. Isaiah 60, verse 19, it's there in your notes, says, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be, the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. There'll be no darkness. Why? Because the glory of the Lamb the glory of the Lord God Almighty. They are the light. And so this new Jerusalem 
is often distinguished by the things that says there is no. What's not there? Things that are missing. No temple. No sacrifice. No sun. No moon. No darkness. No gates to shut. And then, nothing unclean. Nothing detestable. Nothing accursed. So there's a lot of stuff that's not going to be there. Last week I mentioned the word shadows, and that's not a statement from the scriptures. It's just the reality. There will be no shadows. Why? Because everything's built out of transparent material. Trees won't cast shadows. The buildings won't cast shadows. For the glory of the Lamb shines through everything. There's nothing to hinder His glory. I guess we'll be transparent too. The light will pass through us. We'll see each other. We won't be holograms. No, we won't be holograms. But the reality is nothing will block the glory of the light of the Lamb. It's not shining from just one central place. It's shining all around and from everywhere. And, of course, the radiance that comes from it as it shines. Go back to that little word I mentioned before, no need. There'll be no need. In the Greek language, it's, it's a phrase that means something that is required by necessity. A need is something required by necessity. You've got to have it. All right, you can't build a house without foundation, right? So it's by necessity. You've got to have a foundation. Um, by necessity, uh, you have to eat if you're going to live. Um, you have to have water if you're going to live. So there are necessities. They're required in order to gain or live or continue. But this phrase means it's not just that the sun and the moon aren't there. The statement is they're not required. There's no need for them. We need the sun. Now, uh, today, maybe some people cursing the sun, but <laughs> it it's quite, uh, yeah, it's necessary. <laughs> Without the sun, uh, it would be horrible. But to be in a place where the sun's not even necessary, it's not required. It's not that you don't want it, you don't need it. The purpose of the sun and the moon will be fulfilled. God put the sun and the moon in the heavens as a measure for time, as signs for things he was going to do uh, for his own purposes uh, to help um, establish this earth. Without the sun, without the moon, the earth would not be in the orbit that it's in. You say, well, that's all astronomy. No, that's all God. He, he put that. If the moon was, what, half a degree or something out of where it is, things would be vastly different here. In, in our nation, in our world. So they, we have to have them. But there, not. 
Why? Because it's the glory of the Lord that is that is there, and that's um, this light that is coming out is for us to say, "Wow!" It's it's a, there for us to be overwhelmed, to be awestruck that this is the glorious presence of God. Verse 24 says, By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It, that is the cities, gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. So, what? <laughs> They'll never be shut. So, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Part of the the curse of the city of Babylon, going back to chapter 17 and 18 in Revelation, and the, the, the city of the harlot and her power and her uh, control over the nations and over things, um, that all came to an end. But one of the things it said that would happen after God had destroyed the city of Babylon was that Never more would a lamp shine in her, so that there will never be light in that place again. That place represents what we could also identify as hell. By contrast, the New Jerusalem will be forever full of light. So we talked about some contrasts between Babylon and the new heaven, new earth, a couple weeks ago, we continue to see these um, because the people that John is writing to can't relate to our current knowledge of science, our knowledge of things in the world, uh, what we know about. You know, we, we've seen stars that they'll, ne- they'll never got a chance to see because of the Hubble and now the Webb telescopes, and we've seen things in space that they never imagined could be. But God was speaking to them in a way that he wanted them to understand. And what he wanted them to know was that this glorious place is not going to be like anything that's been on this earth. Everything here, in a sense, is, is below it's inferior to what is going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. And part of that was represented by the ultimate of that, which was the city of Babylon built by the great whore. Now, the statement that is made there is that by its light the nations will walk. What nations? Isn't there just, isn't there just one? What What are the nations that he speaks of? Uh, Read on. By its light the nations walk. This is by the light of the throne upon which sits God, Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb. By its light the nations walk. The kings of the earth bring their glory into it. What nations? There There are no nations in heaven. There's just the new heaven and the new earth, right? That's That's all we know of. Well, The thing is, the new heaven and the new earth sits over, well, the new heaven sits over the earth. 
what's going on on the earth. We are given pictures, representations of what John sees in the new heaven and the city of Jerusalem. He never describes what's going on on the earth. Never. It's just totally passed over, except by little phrases like this. The nations walk. So, is it that the believers, all of the true believers, who identify with the new Jerusalem as their city, do they also have activity on the new earth? Questions raised by commentators, answered by none. Just questions. You know, and you say, well, I want you to tell me. Well, I want Jesus to tell me, so there. You know, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, there's there's no place that you can read, no no place that you can go to, to identify exactly what who are these nations. The the word nations ethnos uh, it can also be translated to Gentiles, but he's not talking about Jew versus Gentile. Some people said, well, in the city are the Jews, and outside the city are the Gentiles. No, he already makes a statement about outside the city. But what about the new earth? And that's what is, as I said, is never described. He tells us it's there. It's there at the beginning. And you say, well, you can go back to the book of Isaiah, and he describes, and no, he's talking about the millennium. Jeremiah talks about the millennium. Ezekiel talks about the millennium. But they don't talk about the new earth as it's going to exist at this time. And so the kings of the nations walk and they bring their glory into it. Uh, the word for their glory has to do with their, um, their splendor, their honor. And it's not the glory that is due them. It's the glory they bring in to give to the Lord. So they are bringing their glory. Could I, I better use the phrase they're glorying? So they are glorying in the Lamb and the Lord God Almighty, and they bring it into the city. That's all we know because that's all the passage says. And the gates are never shut because there's no night. City gates in the time of the Bible, you would close your city gates at night because of marauders and different things that would come into the city. And so the city gates would be closed. Uh, There could be access, but it was a restricted way that you came into the city if you came after nightfall. But there, there's no reason to close the gates because there's no danger. There's no enemies. Everything is good. And so there's no reason, there's no fear, there's no uh, problems outside there's no reason for the gates to be shut and then verse 26 it says they bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations the glory and the honor of the nations different things that I looked at about this passage have to do with God gave gifts 
to mankind. Art, science, wisdom, literature, um, abilities. God gave abilities to man from the beginning. And just because man has manipulated those or uh, deteriorated those, you know, submitted them to evil purposes doesn't mean that God didn't give the basis of it. I like classical music. Some people think what is wrong with you. Um, but uh, classical music is, is fine with me. I, I, I sit and wonder at sometimes how in the world the writer put this together. And um, that's a gift. Not all of it was written to honor God. There's some beautiful music today. Not all of it is written to honor God, <laughs> right? That doesn't mean that the ability to create music wasn't given by God. The ability to write poetry, um, to express, to paint. I like photography, but all I do with photography is I capture what God designed. You know, some of the paints, I stand in awe of that. I, I, don't, I don't understand how you can just stare at a blank something and make something so beautiful. It's not, not my toolbox, right? Um, but there are people that can. And they have great skill and great abilities. And all of those things won't necessarily cease in the new heaven and new earth. Because here it says they bring things to the Lord. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. And so here are individuals bringing to God glory and honor for something that God has given them. An ability skill, uh, giftings that God is using in their lives. And that uh, this procession of saints will be bringing this in with what glory and honor. It's not just giving God gifts. It's not saying, hey, look what I just did. Because that's where man's art and that's where people's skills uh, come today it's look at me look what I did this is all about look what God did so all of their skills all of their abilities turned to something that God has used can't we learn from that today that whatever we do in word or deed that sounds like a scripture yeah it is do all to the glory of the Lord. So if you're going to write, write to the glory of God. If you're going to write music, if you're going to sing, if you're going to write poetry, if you're going to build, if you're going to do whatever, do it to the glory of the Lord. So I might not be able to paint. I can take pictures of what God did, and that's to his glory. So now verse 27 is one of those. We already, we already saw this earlier in the chapter. It's like, why all of a sudden this negative verse? Why, why did God put this in here? 
Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So why, did, why is that suddenly thrown in there? Because it's a reminder that, number one, only those who are in Christ, those who have believed in the Messiah, Old Testament, those who have believed in Jesus Christ, New Testament, those who have accepted the Lord as Savior, have had their sins removed through His sacrifice. Only those who have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who will be in the city. Where are the others? End of chapter 20. Where are all the others? In the lake of fire. They're not roaming on the earth. Right? They're not, they're not hiding outside the walls, looking for ways to get in. No, they're all locked in eternal hell. But this is just a statement. To who? When John was writing, was everybody a believer? No. These, these words are statements to people who have not yet accepted the Lord. Who have not yet come to believe. And maybe they won't read these things until after the rapture. Until the time of the tribulation. And they'll pick up a Bible that you left behind. Reasons to have Bibles in every room of your house. Because right? you're going to get left behind. Make sure you got great places underlined in your Bible so people can find them. And um, because people are going to read this. There, people could read it before any of this takes place and realize, you know what? If I don't change, I'm not going to be there. And if I want to be in this city, and if I want to be part of this, i got to have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And they say, but I don't, I don't even know what that is. So go find a Christian and ask them. Go find someone who can tell you how to get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the beautiful part of that is not only does God write it in there, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says he seals your name. It's not just written, it's sealed. Oh, thank God. So there are those who can read this. They, they may read it before the Lord's return. They may read it during the tribulation. They might read it in John's day as this letter is being circulated to the people of that day. People say, well, you know, this end time stuff is not for, unbe not for unbelievers. It's not, we shouldn't talk about this to, uh, to people who are just coming into Christianity or they're just asking questions. Why not? I'm not trying to scare anybody out of hell and into heaven, but they do need to know. Jesus talked a lot about hell. John talks a lot about hell. Why don't we? Why is it somehow wrong for us to mention that those who do not believe will live in eternal hell? No one who is not in the book of life will be in this city.
chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The river of the water of life. It's not just the water of life. It's not just the river. The river of the water of life. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no need of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. Glorious stuff. And it's pretty much the end of John's vision. What happens afterwards is his admonitions, questions, instructions. So what is this river of the water of life? The angel showed me this river, bright as crystal. The idea of the word bright has to do with something that is gleaming or sparkling. It's not just your average water. Um, it's not the Arkansas River you know, at flood stage. Nor is it one of those crystal clear mountain lakes, like a picture that I took in Idaho. Reflection and beautiful blue and you can see, you know, 20 feet down. But this is beyond that. This is sparkling, radiant. And so this is a brilliant thing. So what is this river, the water of life? Follow me. Revelation 7, verse 17. It says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will be their guide to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 21, verse 6. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Notice it's always water of life, living water. I'm in. Everybody else in? Okay, we're good. Yeah. It's doing a wedding one time, and just as the bride was ready to come down the aisle, this was at the a wedding center up in uh, above the uh, casino in Catusa, and had a metal roof. And just as the bride was ready to come down the aisle. I mean hail storm like I'd never heard a hail storm and it was so loud <laughs> there was nothing you could do I just stood there you know there's nothing there's nothing you could do she she walked down the aisle you know no one could could have heard if somebody shouted they, she couldn't hear the music the, the music was totally drowned out and I'm just standing there and they got up to the the front and I just said let's wait <laughs> there's no use 
doing anything, you know, because they could hardly hear me. And so pretty soon it stopped, you know, and people started running outside to check their cars. But, um, yeah, it was, it's too late now. What are you going to do? So, but anyway, um, thunder, yay. So notice that every time you see this word water, it's connected to life. All right, so 22 verse 17, the spirit of the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. John seven thirty seven, And on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Holy Spirit. That's an important phrase about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The psalmist says, The river whose streams make glad the city of God. Joel says, A a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. Living waters, says Zechariah, shall flow out from Jerusalem. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, Proverbs. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, Proverbs. Wisdom is a fountain of life. Is he confused or? No. All those things are a fountain of what? Life. To one who has it. With God, says the psalmist, is the fountain of life. Let me tell you. It's not about water. It's about life. He's not talking about water. He's talking about the life that comes. And Jesus identified that life as what? The Holy Spirit. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he said about the Holy Spirit. So, as it, this is life as tangible as water is. You know, we, we know that there's an essence of life. We know we're alive. Um, I hope we know we're alive. Uh, so that's one of the things that we have. We, we have identified life. When does life begin is a big question now, you know, in uh, political and religious circles. Um, when does life end? know people where do you go when there is no life is there life after life right so all these questions go through but when we get to this new heaven new earth it's going to be life as tangible as water life that is real life you can feel life that is more than just a thought a concept more than just physics the old joke about the scientists said you know they were bragging to a theologian you know said uh, you know what we've we've we can make life we've learned how to create life and so uh, from we take the dirt and we do this 
and all this. So we are just like God. We can create life from dirt. And the theologian said, no, no, you got to get your own dirt first. <laughs> See, God created the dirt. Use, use nothing. So start with nothing and then tell me that you have done something to create life. This is, this is life that God wants us to know, feel. There are a couple commentaries that I read that they almost believe that just as the, the throne, we see the Father and the Son, that the river of life is like the very tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. I can see a point in that. It, I, I'm not so certain that that's exactly what it is about. But Jesus did say, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, and this, he said, about the Holy Spirit. So we know that life is important. Um, water is important for life. So is the Spirit. For without the Spirit... We're not alive. And we need the life that God can give and the life that's going to be um, in the new heaven, the new earth. This life is beyond anything that our minds have yet conceived. A river of life. Not a river of water. It's a river of life. And psalmist all those verses that i read to you the proverbs uh, the prophets they talk about a fountain of life not a fountain of water and you know there are times when we really need water but how much more do we need the spirit and in heaven it will be there in reality not that we have to drink of it but the bible does tell us that there will be no thirsting there will be no need there will be nothing uh, that we will be lacking because this river of life is flowing out from the throne now it does say and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week in our session um, that this river flows out into the street but which street? How many streets? How many streets are there in heaven? Is there just one? What about the 12 gates? Why do you have a gate if you don't have a street that leads up to it? And so there's all kinds of questions we're going to ask. How many are we going to answer? Oh, a few of them. But there's a lot of them we don't have an answer for. Because the Bible doesn't give us an answer. So... We'll take this up next week. We'll talk about the tree of life and uh, the leaves for the healing of the nations. And, um, and then the, finally, the culmination of everything that John has been seeing. The culmination is to see the face of God. And that's the last thing that he brings up. So, Father, we thank you for this time tonight. We thank you that you uh, have given us this opportunity to see a glimpse through imperfect words just 
an idea of what this eternal glory of being in your presence is going to be like beyond anything that our minds or hearts can imagine. And we thank you that your son has made this way possible and through faith in his work, his sacrifice, the removal of sin, recreation of our inner man, and our future glorification. Father, we thank you that you have opened the way for us to be there. Father, help us to have a passion to tell others so that they might know, they might find their salvation through Jesus Christ. And we praise you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.